Matthew 22. If we're going to focus on the most important thing, intimacy with God, God himself. So many churches, you know that passage in Revelation where Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. So often that's used as like an evangelistic passage, you know, to say to non-Christians, you know, I'm knocking on the door of your heart. Look, I think that's an okay application, but it's actually Jesus knocking on the door of a church saying, can I come in? We can run church without God if we're good at systems and marketing, networking. Or we can do what matters most and that's connect to him. The context of this passage is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were two groups that were around Israel in Jesus' day, were trying to trip him up. They were trying to, trying to get him to make a mistake and confess something heretical according to their belief system. But Jesus didn't really care about their belief system because he was establishing a new kingdom, a kingdom where he was the king, a kingdom where we were inheritance of the kingdom, and a kingdom where we were built to connect to God himself. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees are coming up to Jesus trying to trip him up. And so that's the context. And we get to verse uh, 34 and it says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, right? So Jesus has already taken one of those groups out. You can read the context of it if you want. The Pharisees got together. Now, the Pharisees of the two groups were the more religious than the Sadducees. The Sadducees had horrible doctrine about the afterlife, but the Pharisees were the ones who were like, okay, if you want to know God, you have to do this, 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 and this. And it was oppressive, and it was rulesy, and it, and it was legalistic to the core. The Pharisees were all about burdening people with a transaction-based relationship with God, where if you did this, God was obliged to do this, and if God did that, you're obliged to do this, and it took the relationship out of it. Okay, so Jesus had silenced one group and the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, like the Pharisees were, that's the Old Testament law, that's not like the law of the land, that's the Old Testament law, actually they were one and the same. So the Torah, an expert in the Torah said, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, out of the mouth of someone bringing opposition comes actually a very good question and Jesus in his kindness doesn't like if I was Jesus in this situation and I knew that this guy was coming just to trick me I'd command a scorpion to quickly bite him on the foot like I mean I don't know how Jesus showed such love to these people right where'd that scorpion come from are there scorpions in Israel who knows I think there is because there's a there's a there's a parable with scorpions But this guy, even though he's coming up to try to trick Jesus, asks a very good question, you know, which is the greatest commandment in the law? In other words, what matters most? And I think when we consider our life as Christians, not just here at church, but in general, we should often be asking ourselves this question, what, what, what matters most? Because time is limited and resources are limited and your capacity is limited. When it comes to following Christ, I want to do what's, I want to do the main thing. You know, what's the main deal here? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. How good is that? 
Like someone comes up to you, doesn't matter if they're a scorpion, bitten, Sadducee or somebody else, right? And says to you, what's the most important thing about Christianity? Why do you do this Christianity stuff? Because I love God. And I don't just love him a little bit. I love him with all my heart. I love him with all my soul. I love him with all my mind. Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy here where often they say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Sometimes it says strength. Sometimes it says being. Your um, translation of the Bible might have something else here. But just for a moment, I want to I I focus on this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I mean, if you could get one message this year, wouldn't this be the one? Love God. It's just so refreshing to boil it down to what matters most in a complex world with all competing worldviews. Just love God. And it starts by saying, with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now, the problem with this phrase is that the heart is deceitful above all things. You know this to be intrinsically true because someone you love once came home and said, I'm dating the village idiot. Maybe they didn't say village idiot, but you're thinking, and then you say, why would you do that? That's such a horrible decision. It stands against everything we believe. It stands against everything we know. And the reply is, but the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, our hearts can be easily deceived. Our hearts can be trained to be deceived. You know, following your heart sometimes not the best advice. Check out Jeremiah. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Okay, so that's a, a, a word in Jeremiah. But then we see halfway through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about treasure in heaven and he's talking about the difference between following God and following money. And then at the end he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so all through the Bible, there's this running script that's talking about us training the desires of our heart. The things you long for at a heart level. And when I say a heart level, I mean like a, you, you, know, you wake up daydreaming about it. You've got affection for it. They're things that we have trained ourselves to love. You don't just wake up one day being in love with something else. You've trained yourself to fall in love with something else. That's how idolatry works. So idolatry in Australia doesn't usually look like a statue in your garden. What it usually looks like is something that God has blessed you with becoming more important to you than God himself. Right? And so let's just use money for an example because it's really easy in our culture. But if you, if you think your trust is in money... And if you think your identity is in how much money you earn, and if you think your worth is in how much money is in your bank account, right? your heart's going to be drawn towards getting that. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the bad news. The good news is that our hearts can be trained to love God. Our hearts can be trained to follow after the things of God. Our hearts can be trained to long for God. That the first thing in the morning, you might wake up, desiring intimacy with God. If you love Him with all your heart, you, you've trained yourself like through disciplines, through loving the Lord, through reading the Word, through connecting with God's people, that He's the most important thing in your life. Think about your heart. It's like a perpetual wheel, isn't it? The more you love something, the more you love it. And then the more you love it, the more you love it. And the more you love it. Now, that can be for things that are going to take you away from God or God Himself. So we've got to train ourselves to love God on a heart level. So good. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, the soul is quite a hard concept to explain. And depending on which commentaries you read, I think people are always trying to define how the soul works or where it is or what part of the soul we are. But I think C.S. Lewis defines it best. He says that you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. And so what the soul is, however you want to define it, go in the Greek or whatever else, I think it's the, it's the God essence in you. It's the supernatural within you. It's the part of you that has a longing for the things of God because it's God resonating in you. It's the, the eternal part of you. And that part of our being is also commanded to love the Lord. Love the Lord, the God, with all your heart and with all your soul. Now, Psalm 42, I think, is the best revelation of how the soul works. Because it doesn't talk about where the soul resides or what the soul looks like. It talks about the function of us being supernatural beings and how our soul longs for the Lord. And how our soul grieves when we're away from the Lord. You know, how to connect with God. I'm going to read this whole psalm. Um, you might have a different version, but it's very famous, As the Deer. When I was a kid, we used to sing As the Deer. Remember As the Deer? I think it was number 217 or something. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? You see, that is like this supernatural longing that the psalmist is saying, there's something in my gut that is longing for deeper connection. There's something in my being that's longing for more. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. You ever been grieved and it feels like you're grieved at a soul level that your heart is crushed? Like, like you're crying out with brokenness from deep within your guts. It's pouring out your soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? You ever had a downcast soul? Where you feel like you're just ready to go? You know, it's not suicidal, it's not that this world doesn't matter anymore, but it's like there's nothing here that satisfies. I'm longing for the eternal presence of God. It's a downcast soul. And why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. See how he's kind of like talking to his soul, talking to himself? Kind of like giving himself a pep talk, saying, Soul, why are you downcast? You need to trust in God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the Hermon from Mount Mizar. Verse 7, deep calls to deep. This passage has been preached on a lot in Christian circles. The idea of the depth of your soul connecting with the depth of God. Deep crying out to deep. Knowing God on a soul level. At the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. 
I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hoping God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. I think we should never underestimate or minimize the power of the supernatural essence of God being within us. It's the best part of being a Christian is intimacy with God. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you're loving him out of your very depths, out of the depths of your being. And you train yourself to do so by having intimacy with him. By, like the psalmist does there, by talking to you, like it's almost like you're speaking to the, the inner essence saying, you know what, you feel downcast, but you need to trust in God. You ever have to give yourself a little pep talk, right? Come on, trust in God. He's never let you down before and he's not going to let you down in the future. Come on, trust in God. You feel like he's abandoned you. You know he hasn't abandoned you. Trust in God. He hasn't walked away from you. He never walked away from anyone. Trust. That's loving the Lord your God with all your soul. And then he says, with all your mind. Famous verse, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for your hope that you have. But do it with gentleness and respect. It's an encouragement to have a cognitive understanding of God too. You know, we've got the heart connection, we've got the soul connection, but love him with all your mind. Know scripture in a way that you've collated it and understood it in a way that you can communicate it. If someone comes to you with a question, give them an answer. Be prepared to give them an answer. Think through, like if you've got a loved one and you know their worldview is consistent with this, this and this, and you know the gospel truth is this, this and this, you can be ready for when they ask you, why do you believe this? Well, actually, I believe because of this. We ought to be ready. You know, the study of Scripture is not a dry experience, not a didactic experience or void of the Holy Spirit. It's actually a spiritual discipline. This book by Richard Foster, I still think, is the best book on spiritual disciplines ever written. It's a big claim, but I've only probably read three books on spiritual disciplines. It's, a, it's the best of those three. It's helped me. Has anyone used, read, engaged in this book? Man, I've got to encourage you to do it. There's free versions online everywhere. Basically, he just lists a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines that human beings can practice in order to get closer to God. And it's not ritualistic just doing them thinking that the rituals themselves are what brings you closer to God. What spiritual disciplines do is put you in a place where God can change you. So he talks about the ones that are usual like prayer and fasting and meditation, the ones we're used to, right? So prayer in and of itself puts you in a place where God can change you. He also talks about the discipline of study, of sharpening your mind for the things of the kingdom. And this is a summary. You don't even have to read the whole chapter because I've given you a summary. He says, study is the spiritual discipline in which the mind takes on an order conforming to the order of whatever it's concentrating on. What's the word say? Be con con do not be conform to the pattern of this world, but what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are built to study 
in the Christian discipline of study, we're coming to understand who God is, what God is like, and how God works with his children. John in his gospel defines eternal life as the knowledge of God and a whole bunch of other points. Encouraging the people of God to, to have a cognitive mind love of God as well. I think every time I do something to train myself spiritually, my faith gets more simple. So when I was a kid growing up, faith was complicated. Trying to figure God out was, was, was an, like till three in the morning. How does this work? How does that work? And then I did a Bachelor of Ministry, a theology course, and it started simplifying it. And then a few years later, we did a Master's in Theology, and it just simplified it more. I thought I'd get more intelligent and less, like more worried about doctrine and more worried about the the grey bits and be able to defend certain positions and whatever. And then we went to Israel for the last few weeks over Christmas. Thanks for letting us uh, not be here. And um, it got even simpler. It was so earthy. Like it, we went there and I don't, didn't know what to expect, but there was no moment where you like fell down on your knees, well, I didn't anyway, crying out going, God is here. It was more like Jesus was here. You know, this is where he walked, and that was really cool from a historical and geographical perspective. But he was no more there than he is here. He wasn't still there. Like, I know that Israel's special and all those other things, but for me, I was really, by the end of it, looking forward to getting home because I just wanted to get to know the man of Jesus Christ again and just know God, just love him. And so it's get every, every year, I don't know if this is the same for other people who've been walking with Jesus for a while, but it just keeps getting simpler. He loves me. I love him. That's about it. Get that right, and the rest is going to fall into place. For these four weeks, guys, today I spoke about simple faith. Can I just encourage you? If your head's gone places over the last couple of months where you're in turmoil, if your faith feels like it's at risk or you feel like you're walking away or, or struggling or fighting. I know this is going to sound like a simple solution, but it, the solution is get to know God. Because once you know God, you discover that not only does he love you, but he actually likes you. And that he didn't just die out of obligation to set you free, but he did it willingly because of his love for you. And that he loves you so very much that he'll keep pursuing you when you reject him and keep chasing you and running after you. And not just you, but your loved ones. That person that loves you and you don't understand, that you love and they're rejecting God, well, I know that's tough. God's chasing them. And he's going to keep chasing them. I'm very excited at this next season. Simply loving God. Next week, we're going to preach on the rest of that passage. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. We'll be exploring that as well. What I think is really funny is that this week, probably my neighbor will get crazy again. <laughs> every time I preach on love your neighbor, we've got great neighbors, but every now and then one of them just goes bonkers. <laughs> so that's this week. Let's pray.
Father, help us to do the right things right, the things that matter most first. Father, I want to thank you that you've given us all the resources we need to connect to you. You've given us everything we need for intimacy, for love, for worship, for knowing you. I want to pray this week we will love you with all our heart and soul and mind. I thank you that that's not some oh, impossible endeavor that you just keep out of reach. But it's our inheritance as sons and daughters to know dad. We love you, God. I want to pray that that love will grow this week. That that love will expand, that... It'll become more real and more simple and more tactile, just that you will be there, we will be there together. We do thank you for this season that you're about to bring us into, Lord God, and you have. A season where you're tapping people on the shoulder to implement things, to carry burdens, to... You know, responsibility is probably a better word to step into the promises that you've given us. We want to thank you that this is a family, Lord God, and help us to always sow into that. God, let us never forget that. We've got all the rights and the blessing and responsibility of being in a, in a physical family. We want that. Church, you guys had a little chat, a pray before for Ken. I want you to jump in those little groups again and then just make a little action plan for this week. Share what you're going to do to sow into that love relationship. This isn't a list the same as mowing the lawn, cleaning the windows. This is almost like setting up an, an appointment with God. How are you going to nurture that soul relationship with God? How are you going to sow into that this week? I feel like my communication today was sound but not blowing anybody's mind, right? But that's okay because it's not about that. What's about is God doing something in your life. So I want you to share what God's doing in your life and what you're going to do to grow in Him this week, okay? And we'll just end the service there. If you feel confident enough, pray for the people that you share with. Love the Lord your God. Let's do that.